the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday. Uh, if you are joining us, this is Let Us Reason on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and uh, we are so thankful uh, for your partnership with us, for your faithfulness to join us, and uh, we thank the Lord for His grace to allow us to be on the air and continue to be on the air, and we thank KPXQ 1360 for their uh, faithfulness also in uh, believing in the cause, believing in our ministry, and allowing us really this privilege to be able to share with the masses uh, the importance of sharing the gospel with our Muslim friends, neighbors, immigrants, refugees, students, and others, of course, in general. And uh, if you are tuning in today, uh, then we want to give you a heads up that we are doing part two of a brand new series that I started last week. And this series is called honor and shame, and really it focuses on the honor and shame worldview as it is exhibited in the Bible, and in particular, I focus more on the New Testament and Jesus and the Gospels and how that played out, and we, the hope is to help you at some point, uh, whether it takes two parts, three parts, four parts, to get to a way to share with you how you can articulate the Gospel message to someone who comes from that particular worldview, and as you know, the Middle East in general, uh, the predominantly is a, an honor and shame worldview culture, uh, and uh, the gospel really and the Bible is perfect for that setting because it unfolded in that particular part of the world where uh, people look at themselves as members of the mass. Uh, they are not individualistic. They care for the corporal uh, uh, basically acceptance or rejections for their own decision. So sharing the gospel with someone from that background means if that individual decides to leave the norm, and let's use Islam in this case as the norm, then the masses in there are going to reject that individual because the individual is not lacked, acting according to the norm. I lost everything as a result of coming to Christ. Uh, I lost uh, my family. Uh, I lost my position as the oldest uh, in my own family simply because, in their view, I have dishonored them, dishonored the family name, dishonored my culture, my town, my neighbors, my my social setting, dishonored my country as a result of this. So uh, this is what we are trying to address here, but we want to take a stab at it from a biblical point of view. Now, last time we gave an overview of what honor meant, and that's your worth, your esteem— 
your prestige, your value, and shame, of course, is quite the opposite of that. Now, when we look at, for instance, at the uh, New Testament and a Bible in general, really we can identify two types of honor uh, or sources of how honor is uh, being basically, um, uh, you know, uh, applied to somebody or someone. Uh, one type or one source is called the ascribed honor. The second one is the achieved honor. An ascribed honor means that primarily the person is honored just through birth and his bloodline and family name. The achieved honor is through uh, the person's basically um, uh, the way they earn thing. They earn their wealth, maybe uh, competition, maybe even envy of what that person have, uh, the degree and so on and so forth. So let's take a look, for instance, as a, the type of a um, an achieved honor, name and bloodline. The name, meaning a family name and the bloodline. Uh, notice, for instance, if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, and by the way, uh, just a side note, the Gospel of Matthew is perfect uh, to articulate uh, basically uh, the honor and shame worldview in it because it was written to Jewish audience who actually ascribe to this particular worldview. So it is absolutely perfect for that. If you look, for instance, at Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, um, it identifies Simon, who is Peter, uh, Simon, son of John, okay? Simon, son of John. And uh, here it's the Jewish name uh, of Peter, and at the same time identifying whose son is he. So the father is mentioned. That shows the importance of the bloodline. I mean, it, it's apparently, um, uh, you know, maybe his, his dad was a well-known fisherman or they have a, a well-known company. Who knows? But nevertheless, Matthew took the time by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to identify not just the individual, but his family as well and the bloodline so that everybody knows who does he belong to. Uh, the same is with James and John. James and John, sons of Zebedee. Okay, once again, you read this in Matthew 4, 21. Uh, what about Jesus, for instance? Uh, look, some of the uh, descriptions that uh, Matthew used are extremely uh, powerful. He started his whole gospel by saying, this is the gospel, or this is the genealogy, or this is the record of Jesus Christ. Notice the son of who? Abraham. The son of who? David. Wow. Two big names right there. Dropped immediately. Abraham, the patriarch, and King David. I mean, now he grabbed everybody's attention immediately. Why? Because now everybody knows that this is not just a mediocre person. This is a person that comes from this powerful bloodline lineage. And then, of course, throughout the chapter 1, uh, he lists all of his genealogy, and in there many kings were mentioned. But then he gets to verses 21 and 22, and the angel will tell Joseph in a vision, in a dream, that you shall call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. Notice what's going on now. The name of Jesus is extremely important because it has a powerful theological impact as well. So you can see how that is playing out. Also, Jesus is identified as the Son of the Most High. This is Simon Peter himself who confessed this in Matthew 16, 13. You are the Christ, the Son of the Most High. I mean, that's another way that Jesus was identified. Now, when it comes to shame, of course, shame is the opposite of honor. 
Uh, it's how others thinks, uh, think of you as being lowly. You know, you are a nobody. Uh, you have no value whatsoever. Uh, people do not want to associate with you, technically speaking, including your own bloodline, by the way. My family doesn't want to associate with me. My friends and cousins don't want to associate with me because I brought shame uh, on them. And if they associate with me, others will associate with them too. So that's why it becomes extremely important uh, for us to see how only few remained around Jesus during his trial. And then after he was uh, crucified, they all disappeared. I mean, they just vanished because they don't want anyone to really pinpoint them. In fact, Peter denied Jesus during the trial because he didn't want to be associated with him. It's all about honor and shame. It's really the loss of the sense of peace and security. That's how Peter felt. That's how the apostles felt after the crucifixion of Christ. They lost peace. They lost sense of security. They are afraid. They ran for their life. They wanted to hide. Uh, Notice Uh, The reaction, usually, in honor and shame is for people to hide. That's how Adam and Eve did it. They hid. Why? Because they do not want to reveal their shame. These are the 12 that were around this powerful man on earth for three years doing these miraculous things. They probably were thinking they're walking on cloud nine. In fact, if you remember, the mother of John and James uh, came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, uh, I, you know, we know you're going to be the king uh, of Israel. So uh, we would like for you per- pretty much to give my sons a higher and powerful position. You know, see, see, she's thinking about power, prestige, honor for her kids. And Jesus immediately knocked that idea down completely and says, really, if you want to have that prestige in the kingdom, uh, you ought to serve others, not to be served, technically speaking. So after all of this, uh, you know, uh, you know, this reputation by being the disciples of this powerful person, Jesus, when he was crucified and put to shame, they lost that sense of peace and security, and they felt shamed also, and they ran away and hid from others and especially from authority. They, uh, it's a sense of rejection. Uh, notice what Job, for instance, in the book of Job, look at the language that is used either by him or his own friends. In Job chapter 10, verse 15, uh, it says that Job was filled with disgrace. Notice a language of honor and shame. In Job 19, verses 13 to 19, it says, Job himself is saying, my family is far from me. They don't want anything to do with me. They don't want to associate with me. They're not really willing to, I mean, my relatives, they don't want to come near me anymore. It's like, I used to be this guy who was wealthy and uh, powerful. Now they feel like, who are you? We, we want nothing to do with you. We don't know what you have done to cause all of this to yourself. His own servants, he says, counted him as stranger. Notice I mean, this is to him probably, and in my culture, the honor and shame, basically, when your own maids consider you a stranger, this is the lowest of the lowest reactions you can get, technically speaking. These are your paid servants. These are almost like your slaves, if you wish. They are looking down at you. I mean, imagine now how you're feeling. His own friends, it says that intimate friends abhorred me. They don't want anything to do with me. They don't want to affiliate with me. They don't want to associate with me. So that's why uh, the honor and shame and understanding that worldview is extremely crucial. Uh, if you are joining us right now, this is Let Us Reason on KPXQ, on Faith Talk, I should say, uh, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Uh, this is your host, Al Fadi, and we want to thank you, of course, for joining us. And we want to also thank you for your faithfulness and your partnership with us. You can always 
Uh, of course, uh, listen to this show and all of the previous archive shows in a variety of ways. You can go to KPXU 1360 and, and Google us there and uh, search for us there and you can uh, listen to us. You can also go to our website, Sierra International. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International.com. And we have a section in there for Let Us Reason. You can go to YouTube, to our YouTube channel, Sierra International, and uh, listen to us. And we encourage you really to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Once you subscribe, you begin to receive notifications. We even encourage you to prayerfully consider to become a Patreon patron, where not only you can also subscribe, but you can even support us with as little as $1 if you want. I mean, the idea is to help keep this ministry on the air and help us produce so many quality productions like this, whether audio or video, so that you can use it as a digital library to help you get equipped and help you also share the gospel with our Muslim friends who come from an honor and shame worldview. Now, in terms of also um, shame uh, or honor, we the reason why I am going through a series like this right now, and this is part two of the Honor and Shame series, uh, is I want you to just take a glimpse uh, at what's going on around you. I mean, the Lord is opening the floodgates right now and bringing uh, to our backyard refugees, immigrants, and students from an honor and shame background. For instance, as of 2010, these are stats, uh, by, by that time it says 40 million people, 40 million people in the U.S., are foreign-born immigrants. That's by 2010. Now we're 2018. Imagine how uh, high that number is right now. Uh, Since 1965, it says, most immigrants to America are from non-European background. In other words, they do not ascribe to the guilt and innocent worldview. They're predominantly honor and shame and maybe even fear and power. These stats are extremely important for us to uh, grasp and understand about uh, the opportunity around us and also how effectively we can share the gospel with people who come from different backgrounds. Now, why am I sharing this global trend with you? Because, for instance, Jesus expects us to do something about our neighbors. In Matthew 22, verses 38 and 39, it says, This is the great and first commandment, that's to love the Lord your God, of course, with all your heart, your, uh, your mind, and, and your soul. And in verse 39, Jesus says, And a second is like it. Notice, like it, equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's really where uh, the rubber meets the road, if you wish. We have to put to practice the things that we are learning. It's not about just learning for head knowledge. It's about practically reaching out to people that the Lord is bringing to our backyard. Mission is not just flying overseas and going for a short-term mission trip or a long-term mission, uh, basically. No, it's going to wherever the Lord is placing people around you, and in this case, they're everywhere. We ought to go and share the gospel with people who are our neighbor. And who are our neighbor? Just go to the gospel and see what Jesus says. Our neighbor are even those that we would consider to be enemies. Like the Samaritan, for instance, was that example that Jesus used uh, in the Good Samaritan, par- the parable of the Good Samaritan, about who was our neighbor who we ought to deal with. In Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34, and I know what you're thinking right now. You're probably saying, oh, come on, Al, you know, you're using Leviticus now. Yes, I am, because all Scripture is God-breathed, all of it, not just part of it. And whatever 
uh, happens in Old Testament. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the requirements of the law of the Old Testament. So in there, there is part of the law that God expected his own people to adhere to. In fact, Leviticus 19 is part of what we call the holiness code. God is expecting his people to act holy. Be holy, for I am the Lord your God is holy. That's what the scripture says. So in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, listen to the language that is used by our Lord here to describe foreigners and sojourners. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land. And by the way, sojourner means somebody who is temporarily with you. And at some point, something will happen to their status. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Meaning to treat him as a human being. Verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You treat him like one of you, and you shall love him as yourself, elevating him even above yourself, technically speaking. This is the language that is used in the Bible over and over again on how we ought to treat people who are around us. And for this reason, I am hoping that you will be able to uh, basically learn a thing or two from this series about honor and shame to make you more effective in reaching your neighbors. For instance, if you have neighbors who come from the Middle East, you know, you wonder sometimes, how do I reach out to them? Do I just uh, uh, open the door if the door is, uh, uh, you know, left open and walk into their house? No, maybe you can do it, uh, you know, uh, with someone who is from a Western background and they're not going to really be all that upset, probably. But in the Middle East, they will be extremely upset with you because you have just dishonored them. You walk into the house, maybe the wife is exposed or something like that. She's not really covering herself uh, properly. She's not dressed up modestly at that point. Uh, so, or uh, do I really bring him uh, basically desserts? Well, the first thing in their mind is like, well, is there any part of pork in this dessert? Or is there any, any pork in, in this meal you're bringing me? I mean, you don't know anything about that. You're just bringing it to them. Sometimes you think this is religious requirement. No, it's more than religious requirement. There is more of a cultural thing in there as well. Or if I come and, and visit them, uh, do I really uh, sit down uh, with my the bottom of my feet uh, facing them? No, you can't. Or you want to share the gospel with them and you just told them the Bible is the word of God and all of a sudden you take the Bible and you start highlighting it in front of them. They look at you and say, you just told me this is the word of God. Why are you highlighting the Bible? In other words, you have dishonored God by doing so or putting the Bible on the floor. Oh my gosh. You know, people can f- basically go nuts when they see somebody in my culture, for instance, take a book like the Quran, which they consider to be their own holy book and put it in a floor. They, I mean, all hell will break loose as a result of this. So you can imagine why learning about those cultural aspects becomes extremely important in making you more effective in honoring those people and at the same time still helping him restore the honor, the ultimate honor between them and God. And that's what the ultimate message of the gospel ought to be. If you're joining us, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and uh, we thank you for Uh, listening to us and for tracking with us and for your partnership with us. It is by the grace of God that we continue to be on the air and by your faithfulness uh, as well. So uh, we are extremely thankful for that. Going back again to the importance of honor and shame and how we can really dissect some of the global trends. For instance, uh, you've heard of the 1040 window, and uh, this is, of course, uh, a region uh, on planet Earth, if you wish, 
and uh, predominantly is an honor and shame culture in that region. 64% of the global population resides there. 90% of the world's unreached or underreached or least reached people group resides there. Islam is the predominant religion in there. Uh, there is about 9% Christians, but the majority of the Christians in there also um, are usually cultural, traditional, not all are born-again uh, Christians, and even if they were, they're a minority. Uh, they're getting persecuted left and right. So the Lord is kind of solving the problem for Christianity, is saying, okay, what if I bring them to your backyard where freely in North America and Europe you can share the gospel with them, and they can freely ask questions about the gospel versus uh, being back home, uh, a Muslim back home in the Middle East is not going to talk to you publicly about the gospel. Remember, because of the honor and shame, he doesn't want to shame himself in front of his people. She doesn't want to shame herself in front of her neighbors and friends. So she's not going to be talking about the gospel or Christ. But here, she feels more empowered to do so. He feels more empowered to do so. You feel more free to share with them without the ramification of being arrested by a government, for instance, and thrown in jail for being a missionary and so on and so forth. You can understand why learning about honor and shame becomes extremely important. Now, if we get to uh, honor and shame uh, from within its context itself, in our honor and shame culture, uh, the acceptable behaviors, the norms, if you, if you wish, and the ideals are usually defined not by the individual, but rather by the community. So give, let me give you a, an example. I'm going to use myself. Born and raised a Muslim in Saudi Arabia, the heartland of Islam, where Islam originated 14 centuries ago. I found Christ about uh, a little over 17 years ago. I left Islam. But everybody who is a Muslim now feels like I let down the whole community. How can I leave the religion of the community? Look, you have 10,000 people following Islam in your immediate sphere, and you decided that Islam is wrong, and you walked out of it. Who are you to determine what the community ought to behave? In other words, you're telling the whole community now that you guys are wrong, and I am the right one. And they look at you, and they say, you're an arrogant person. How dare you dishonor the whole uh, basically, culture by your decision. You see, they don't look at it from a salvation standpoint. They look at it from an honor and shame standpoint. So how can you articulate the gospel with a group like that? So that's basically the ultimate goal of this series is at some point towards the end, we will begin to talk about how can we articulate the gospel message using the honor and shame imagery with them. Shame is what I am dealing with now. I am being excluded. I am being rejected. I am being downgraded. I'm no longer the oldest in my family, even though I am, technically speaking. You're not respected as the oldest anywhere. Why? Because you're not qualified to be the oldest anymore. You do not have your head straight. You have brought shame upon us. Now, let me tell you another thing that might shock you. What if I go back and say, you know what? Forgive me. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I want to go back to Islam. They're going to look at me with suspicion since that, uh, from that point forward. They are never going to treat me the same moving forward. So it's not just a simple decision. It's, uh, and now, not only I left Islam, but I am on the air now and doing videos and podcasts. You can imagine why they go berserk when they see things like that. It's not, not only I'm keeping my shame to myself. No, I'm bringing it out in the open. And this is why uh, they really get outraged when they see me, for instance, sharing the gospel publicly, or they watch me, or somebody shares with them some of my videos or testimonies. So we need to sympathize with them. That's the whole idea. 
And um, if you're joining us, of course, this is uh, uh, Let Us Reason on Faith Talk uh, 1360 KPXU. And uh, I wish I can tell you that this topic is that simple and could be concluded right now. We are approaching the end of our part two of this series. And I promise by the grace of God that we will continue with multi-parts uh, episodes to uh, deal with this honor and shame and reach a conclusion also on how to share the gospel effectively. Once again, we thank you for your partnership. You can always go to our website, sirainternational.com, to listen to the archive show, Let Us Reason. You can go to our YouTube channel, Sira International, subscribe there, become even a Patreon patron, and support this ministry to stay on the air. We thank you again for your grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your prayers and partnership with us. And uh, we really hope that you would find this series and many of the other series that we've done and many of the future ones to be extremely helpful for you as a tool to make you effective in your outreach. Until we meet again, have a blessed day. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.